Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Movie Dicks Podcast. I'm Gabriel Chavez. And I am Paul Schindel. Today, we drop a dime on the 2020 David I Did Training Day and End of Watch Air flick known as The Tax Collector. But first, this is a comedy podcast. If you have not seen the movie we are about to shit on and you want to avoid spoilers, stop now. But if you don't care about spoilers or want to laugh and learn why this movie sucks so bad, roll with us, essay. I promise we won't run a train on your girlfriend, Holmes. If you don't know what this movie is about, let's hand it over to Pablo Francisco. A tax collector working for a local crime lord finds his family's safety compromised when the rival of his boss shows up in LA and upends the business. A disclaimer necessary for this episode, I'm a Latino man. I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico in a Latino-centric community and had an extended family that was Catholic. Many, many, many relatives were criminals, former criminals, drug addicts, (laughs) alcoholics, domestic violence perpetrators, drug dealers or manufacturers, and guilty of violent and sexual assault-related crimes. That being said, I know East LA's crime culture is different than Albuquerque in its origins and influences, but a lot of experience is shared between the two. I share this Info and that I can speak directly to some of these issues involved here, but overall, this movie is glamorization for the sake of the screen and not respectful or interesting. I will speak on cultural appropriation and racist depictions in this episode, but if this offends you, pasa la buena noche, gringo. Moving on. All right, I'm out of here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> This movie was released by RLJE Films via Cedar Park Entertainment, Cross Creek Pictures, Faster Horse Pictures, and in association with Kodiak Pictures. RLJE Films is a direct-to-video distributor that started work with Legion M, the pseudo-crowdsourced production studio that came into existence promising its thousands of crowdsourced investors an ROI based on their contribution and, quote, direct creative control, end quote, to shape what the studio made and the ability to be a, quote, Hollywood VIP, end quote. Seeing content that you approve to be created. It's mostly bullshit and that none of Legion M's films have made money, so no ROI has been seen by the (laughs) investors. RLJE Films released four movies total. They started with the Legion M film known as Mandy that I cannot overstate how much I adore and enjoy. It's super fucked up, definitely not for everyone, and horrifyingly violent, but it's a goddamn masterpiece of cosmic horror. They also released another bizarre but awesome Nick Cage horror film known as Color Out of Space. Again, it's another great example of cosmic horror grindhouse filmmaking and i absolutely dig it besides those two flicks and this movie known as the tax collector they are releasing the upcoming comedy thriller known as spree which currently has a 35 percent on metacritic about a rideshare driver who kills people and uploads the videos to the dark web to get <laughs> subscribers that movie is out this weekend, 8.15. Cedar Park is a relatively new production company started by David Ayer. They are responsible for the TV show known as Deputy that came out this year with Steven Dorff and a upcoming remake of The Dirty Dozen directed by David Ayer. <laughs> oh boy, another war movie with people saying fuck, lots of gore, and no story. <laughs> <sighs> 
Cross Creek, I'm sorry, Cross Creek Pictures has a strange history in that they have given us some good movies, but mostly a bunch of bad ones. In the good category, we have Darren Aronofsky's Oscar winner Black Swan, George Clooney's mostly great political potboiler known as the Ides of March, Ron Howard's thrilling but overly stylized Formula One movie known as Rush, and the Mel Gibson ill-informed and overly religious but explicitly violent and well-crafted war film known as Hacksaw Ridge. The bad <laughs> category. <laughs> I really like that movie, actually. I own it, but I have a hard time sitting through the first hour because everybody's <laughs> interchangeable. All the characters are cookie cutters of other 50s movies, war movies that I've seen. And I can't stand all the goddamn praying, man. Like, enough with the fucking praying. <laughs> I don't know, like, what, 40 minutes of the first 50 minutes is entirely praying? And, like, and then fucking Vince Vaughn. I'm sorry, dude. Like, Vince Vaughn is terrible in almost everything. <laughs> Comedy. It's just really fucking bad. And to see him try to play a drill instructor, I was just like, I don't buy it. Like, at all. No way. But the bad category for these people is far more populated. The Chilean earthquake horror movie known as Aftershock, the Colin Firth starring idiotic drama called Arthur Newman, the John Watts directed clown horror flick called Clown, the Whitey Bulger biopic with Johnny Depp wearing contacts and bulging his eyes out so you know he's wearing contacts <laughs> called Black Mass, the mountaineering disaster pick called Everest, the bastardization of the book horror flick called Pride and Prejudice with Zombies, the PG-13 remake starring Ellen Page called Flatliners, the underwhelming Roman J. Israel Esquire, the Tom Cruise traffic wannabe called American Made, and this year's COVID straight-to-home release with Vin Diesel called Bloodshot, which sucks so goddamn bad. After five tries, I stopped trying to watch it. That's how bad that I watched cats. Dedication, man. (laughs) (laughs) I watched cats and I couldn't get through Bloodshot. If that tells you anything. Goddamn. Yeah, pretty bad. Faster Horse is a new company that has a movie called American Pain about the opiate dealing big pharma empire. That's it. Kodiak Pictures has been a money laundering operation as every movie they have made has failed. Maddeningly obvious but cryptic movie called The Vanishing with Jared Butler and the great Peter Mullen. They did the Terry Crews straight to video movie called John Henry and an anthology horror movie called Phobias. This movie is produced by 25 producers. Yes, 25 people, more than five times as there are normally involved in making a film. Most of these people are company men who are involved with the production companies I just listed. All you need to know is most of them, this is their first credit on IMDb, period. First credit, period. Not like, oh, in the producer category, period. Everyone else produced Bloodshot or a movie called Your In Analysis or Urine Analysis. Hilarious, <laughs> right? <laughs> great. <laughs> Sounds like one of your opening puns there, Gabe. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> The only people that differ are Todd Williams, Buddy Patrick, and Michael Hyro. Todd Williams is a horror producer on the whole. He did a bunch of straight-to-video horror movies, including Mirrors 2, Ghoul, and Demonic, as well as theater releases like The Nun, Amityville, The Awakening, and an upcoming Tremors sequel called Island Fury, currently in post. That makes seven Tremors movies, people. (sighs) Wish they just left it at one. Yeah, I know. Mm. I mean, even two is, you know, I will say that three, (laughs) I think it's three with the ass blaster uh, aliens. Is that the one where they fart and like their sodium gas farts propels Mm. them through the air? Was that four? I don't remember. I know three, they were flying around, but I I don't think I watched that whole thing. (laughs) 
Yeah, three has like those really bad visual effects that remind you of a sci-fi original movie. <laughs> I thought it and was a sci-fi original. But. <laughs> <laughs> it, could, it could very well be, in all honesty. But he also produced the unwatchable Danny Boyle flick called Trance, the stilted and weakly realized A Beautiful Boy, the New Mexico shot Guy Pierce thriller known as For Snow, shout out NM Film, as well as the sole exception of bad movies on his filmography, Jeff Nichols' first movie known as Shotgun Stories. I guess without Todd helping realize that movie, we would have never had the masterpiece that is Take Shelter with Michael Shannon from 2011. <laughs> Seriously, people, see Take Shelter. It features a deeply frightening performance from Shannon, <laughs> another excellent performance from Jessica Chastain, and it's just an unbelievably tense depiction of mental illness. Buddy Patrick produced the excellent Ari Aster-directed movie known as Hereditary and the underwhelming M. Night Shyamalan movie called Split, as well as the aforementioned ultraviolet Mel Gibson war flick Hacksaw Ridge and Lee Daniels' poorly conceived The Butler with the always excellent Forrest Whitaker. Michael Hyro, I want to talk about because he served as associate producer on one of my very favorite TV shows called Southland. If you haven't seen this, it's required viewing and that is an honest and brutal depiction of life on the street for cops in LA. It features the force of nature herself, Regina King, and she is breathtakingly brilliant in it. It's a crime that only that it only lasted five seasons and that the last season ended on such a cliffhanger ending, but I can't stress how great this show is. Guest stars Lucy Liu and Lou Diamond Phillips are great in their one season and turns but the real treat here is regina king followed by ben mckenzie michael cudlitz c thomas howell and the incredibly emotional turn for sean hatazzi I think that's how you say his last name. You would know who I'm talking about if you looked him up. It makes everything David Ayer has done, including Harsh Times, Training Day, and End of Watch combined pale in comparison. Just buy it on Amazon. You won't regret it, I promise. This movie stars people from Training Day, like Clay (laughs) Sloan, who plays Bone from Training Day and Bone in this movie, and Noel Guglielmi, Moreno in Training Day, and Snoopy in this movie. I half expected to see Terry Crews pop up at some point, point and that would have made this movie infinitely more interesting but alas no terry no gabe likey side note have you seen terry cruz's muscle music for old spice dude i don't recall now he has this commercial that he did for old spice where he puts all these like electrical pads all over all of his muscles and he sits in the middle of like all these instruments in like a rue goldberg machine and he like flexes the muscles in order to play music <laughs> And right in the middle of him going on this huge drum solo, he yells out, flame sax, and like yells, and there's like this fucking saxophone off to the side that shoots out fire like a fucking <laughs> flamethrower. It's so good, dude. Seriously, he's he's a fucking treasure, man. Look up look up yeah. muscle music after you're done here. It's fucking right. fantastic. Uh for real though, Bobby Soto, Shia LaBeouf, Jose Canejo Martin, and George Lopez star. The rest of these people I have never seen before. Maybe I haven't seen as many movies and TV shows as I should have. But given that I've seen more than a lot of people have in my first 33 years than most will see in their whole goddamn life, I'm not saying I'm the authority, but if I haven't seen or heard of you, you're probably not in anything big or interesting. Bobby Soto claims he got this role because he was part of the same jiu-jitsu dojo as David, and they knew each other for years as friends but never knew what they both did for a living until a random conversation 
last year. I don't know how true that is. It <laughs> sounds like one of those, it's so endearing, it must be true stories that are famous across all of LA, but I digress. To be honest, I don't know Bobby. I've seen movies he's in, but I don't remember him in them. Maybe I'm cynical and just didn't notice. He's in The Quarry with Michael Shannon and A Better Life mm-hmm. with the damn near Latino monarch named Demian Bacher. But again, I really don't remember him in either one of these movies. He's been in a bunch of TV, including Narcos Mexico, SWAT, and For the People. But again, to me, this is my first introduction to him, despite having seen him before, supposedly. Shia LaBeouf co-stars as Creeper, a huero cholo that continues David Ayer's long string of appropriation. (laughs) In the trailers, he is portrayed as the main character, and that absolutely is not the case. More on that later. (laughs) Yeah, I was very confused by the whole movie in that that regard. (laughs) Yeah, this movie is edited like a fucking train wreck, dude. Yeah. He's a bizarre actor, to say the least, and is trying to be taken seriously after his many, many manic and very public episodes from wearing a paper bag on his head on which what was written, I used to be famous, to his stunt in New York where he binged all of his movies at a theater in Tribeca while live streaming his reactions to his own work, to his surveillance camera stunt off Gold Street in Albuquerque, New Mexico, my hometown and Paul's hometown, to his bizarre behavior on set trying to quote be method end quote for his career shia never ceases to bring the crazy (laughs) he he was recently in the rather excellent peanut butter falcon and honey boy a not so thinly veiled biopic of the actor himself in which he plays his own father as well as the excellent andrea arnold directed american honey ayer's previous effort in the war epic fury lars von chair's uneven and exhausting nymphomaniac one and two the underrated john hillcote directed movie called Lawless with Tom Hardy and Emilio Estevez's Everyone is in this goddamn thing, including <laughs> Lindsay Lohan mosaic movie called Bobby. Unfortunately, Shia has been in a fuckload of bad movies from Disney's Holes, Dumb and Dumberer, When Harry Met Lloyd, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, The Battle of Shaker Heights, shout out to Project Greenlight and their white straight male centric quote, this is filmmaking bullshit, iRobot, Constantine the rear window remake called Disturbia, Transformers 1 through 3, Eagle Eye, Wall Street 2, The Awful Charlie Countryman, The God Awful Man Down, and of course, Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Goddamn Skull. God damn. God damn you, Shia. <laughs> <laughs> You've been in more bad movies than Actually, three actors combined. I think he might be the best part about that movie, honestly. <laughs> oh, come on, dude. <laughs> You, you and I He's like the most interesting before. character in it, but all right, let's move on. Let's <laughs> you move. and I have had this conversation before. My favorite part is the fucking refrigerator A-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking funny. Uh, I don't think it was meant to be that funny, but he is in a movie called Pieces of a Woman coming up at TIFF in September. Virtually, that is goddamn COVID. That is directed by the guy who gave us the masterpiece of the film that is called White God. So there is that. Have you seen that, Paul? White God? No, I've never heard of it. I, I think it's on Amazon, but it's this movie about these dogs that like take this city back from like the people. And it's completely wordless and everything is shot from the perspective of the dogs and the height of the oh, dogs. Man. But there's this fucking scene where like 700 dogs break out and just run rampant through Paris, like ripping people apart and fucking destroying everything. And it's hilarious (laughs) and it's amazing. (laughs) 
It was one of the best movies I saw that year, dude. Like, oh, hands yeah. down, see White God if you get a chance, man. It's a, it's a quick, like, hour and 40-minute movie. It's not very yeah. long, but it's dope, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, moving on. Jose Conejo Martin is a rapper. A rapper who thinks this entitles him to an acting career because <laughs> he's done music videos. He's only been in this and Deputy David Ayer's TV show again with Stephen Dorff. But guess what, Conejo? You fucking suck. Quit while you're ahead. Go back to your 47,000 monthly listeners on Spotify and 500,000 views on YouTube because you fucking suck so much your face looks like an egg. George Lopez oh. is a comedian. Thrown down. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just pisses me off, dude. This fucking like rapper acting bullshit. It's just, they can't act. 90% of them can't act. The only one that I can say can act is maybe Common. And Common isn't even really that great. And he picks a lot of bad roles. But he's not terrible. Don't even get me started on Eminem for his one acting role. But besides, <laughs> besides the fact, George Lopez is a comedian, flat out. Seeing him play a tough guy, Pachuco type is insulting to say the least and painful at its worst. He was in the classic that is Shark Boy and Lava Girl in 3D, <laughs> Valentine's Day, Rio El Chicano, where he again plays a street tough in a movie written by a white guy about the Latino gang culture, Meet the Blacks, The Smurfs, Beverly Hills, Chihuahua, One and Two, Swing Vote, Shout Out New Mexico Film, Balls of Fury, the Mexican food porn soul food wannabe called Tortilla Heaven, and the thriller spoof movie known as Fatal Instinct. I'm not going to go any further on George because I don't want to shit too badly upon one of the few Latino entertainers that has a film and comedy career stretching more than 30 years. Good on you, George, but maybe look at Walter Salas and see if he has a movie for you. A movie like Central Station, The Motorcycle Diaries, or The Brutal and Beautiful Behind the Sun could do us all Latinos proud. The tax collector does not make us proud. <laughs> This movie was written by David Ayer in that he took the scripts of Harsh Times, Training Day, End of Watch, Dark Blue, and Sabotage, melted them together, flash froze them, smashed the glass, and picked up the pieces here and there to form the tax collector. Seriously, this guy is responsible for some pretty bad work over the years. I personally will never forgive him for the cinematic holocaust that is Suicide Squad. <laughs> I just, I mean, just goddamn, dude. Full disclosure, I own Training Day and Harsh Times, but both are deeply flawed movies. But it's the performance of Denzel Washington, Ethan Hawke, and Christian Bale, Freddie Rodriguez, respectively, that makes these movies more than their flawed <laughs> scripts. But it's worth noting. As a writer, he gave us the above movies I mentioned, but also the original Fast and Furious movie and U571. Both terribly flawed, but Fast and Furious would go on to spawn nine fucking sequels <laughs> and two spin-offs thus far, and U571 made a lot of money but pales in comparison to Wolfgang Peterson's incredible work of tension called Das Boat. Seriously, see that movie over watching anything else David makes. It's one of the very best movies ever made. Yeah. It's fucking gripping see this fucking six hour director's cut because <laughs> god damn dude that that oh god he cut it into a mini series so that way it's like more palatable you could take it into episodes yeah but it's it's fuck it's so good i think it's on amazon right now actually really no yeah, i think so as That's a direct watch though Sure. Oh yeah, classic dude. The fucking depth charge scene still gives me <laughs> nightmares. Like I'm pretty sure that's the reason why I have an anxiety disorder is that movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> but as a director, David did a lot of these movies I just mentioned, but he also gave us the shit heap known as Street, street Kings with Keanu Reeves, speaking monosyllabic LA street tough cop and being racist toward Asian people, as well as the unforgivable pile of flaming garbage known as Bright, which Netflix set a record for their <laughs> largest script payment thus far at $3.5 million to Max Landis, son of John Landis, for his crumpled ball of used toilet paper he called a script. David is supposed to direct the sequel, Bright 2, as well, also co-authoring the script with the writer of the Maze Runner movie, shout out New Mexico Film again, and Pacific Rim 2 Uprising, and the writer of the 2014 The Rock vehicle called Hercules. So, Paul, what the fuck could go wrong with Bright 2 with all these talented people involved? They're going to bring Will Smith back on that? Yeah, no doubt, dude. There you go. That's where it's going to go all right. What the fuck else he got to do, man? He's not going to make Bad Boys 5 for another 11 years. Easy. But, I'm sorry, Bad Boys 4. The tax collector They should just skip to 5, you know what I'm saying? Just confuse the shit out of everyone. Just skip to 5. They already did Bad Boys for Life, man. You and I talked about how they fucked that up. They wasted that title. Wasted it, man. Fucking ridiculous. The tax collector is a short 95 minutes long. It was produced for $30 million. $30 million flushed down the drain. <laughs> with this shit. It was released on August 7th on demand and in 127 theaters in the United States with a $317,000 opening weekend. So here's the deal. I wanted so badly to tear into David Ayer that I chose what I knew would become his new benchmark (laughs) for bad filmmaking. It's one of the many, many movies killed by COVID and as such, box office won't be available for this thing for a while. I apologize in advance, but I believe history will show me to be correct and that this movie will tank and set a new career low points for everyone involved. But I will give you the numbers that I do have. Today is August 12th, 2020, and this movie has made $317,000 to date. Same thing as their opening weekend. I don't know if they count dailies, but as for the 127 theaters, that is only in the U.S., so unfortunately, I won't have four numbers for this for a while. I'll update you if things change on this front. Also, how the fuck are 127 theaters open right now? We have 5 million coronavirus cases. <laughs> there's, actually, in the uh, there's actually a lot of drive ins that have yeah. uh, reemerged as uh, movie theaters and uh, have become relevant again. So that's, uh, I think a lot of it is actually drive in theaters. That's true. I could see that. Mm-hmm. We have 5 million cases of coronavirus in the US, and Florida has more than doubled in the last month. If people are going to the movies to see this during a pandemic, that's probably Darwinism at work, and those attendees <laughs> will show definitely that evolution is not a theory, it's proven fact. Since this movie's only territory is in the US, I'll recap our numbers. The highest grossing movie of all time in America is Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, with $936 million in its domestic gross. This is unadjusted, and if we adjust for inflation, 1939's Gone with the Wind has a $1.895 billion gross <laughs> domestically and an inflated gross worldwide. Ready for this, Paul? Top uh, movie right now is Avengers Endgame 2.79 or 2.9 billion, right? Gone with the Wind in 1939 made the equivalent
equivalent of $7.462 billion or a scant $4.665 billion more than the current record holder. (laughs) (laughs) Basically everyone on the planet saw it at some point. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's unbelievable, man. But at an average cost of $9.26 in the U.S. in 2020, that means... Average? What the fuck is that bullshit? It's like 15 bucks a ticket, man. (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? Have you ever seen a movie in like Tennessee or Alabama? That shit's still $5, man. It doesn't (laughs) Uh, matter where you go. uh, I'm serious. There's a lot (laughs) of middle states there that like charge five bucks for a fucking movie and that throws off the whole skew. Mm. I mean, in New York, dude, I pay $25 a fucking ticket to go see a fucking movie in New York. And that's not even IMAX. IMAX, I'm getting like $30 tickets, $32 tickets. I'm like, what the fuck? What the fuck? I should get a digital (laughs) download for 30 bucks. Side note, I don't feel bad for the Hollywood studios because every movie that comes out that I like, they make at least $100 on me. I am a guaranteed $100 for every fucking movie that they put out that I actually like and go see. Because I'll go see it in theaters for 30 bucks a ticket. I mean, it's more than that, actually, because I usually pay for both me and my wife. So that's 60 bucks right there. If I like the soundtrack, that's another 15 If I like the DVD or if I like the movie enough, I buy it on Blu-ray, but I usually buy the digital copy first. So that's that's like fucking what 15 60 75 90 that's like 115 dollars dude that i spend on movies that i actually like and that's not even counting if they come out with like a new edition some fucking director's cut or special edition or some bullshit that i'm the guy that's stupid enough in order to pay for that shit (laughs) whatever That means that 34,233.25 people saw this movie opening weekend in the USA. Johnny Quarter Slice put on some weight in quarantine and fucking (laughs) sat there and watched this goddamn movie. I mean, I guess I guess he couldn't really go for a run or a bike ride or whatever. So eating and movie watching is all he's got to do in quarantine. With a population of 328.2 million people, that means that 1.0431 ten thousandths the U.S.'s total population saw this movie opening weekend, myself and Paul included. No current rankings exist for this movie's numbers. I'll update you in a future episode if that changes. I severely doubt it, though. The tax collector currently has a 4.7 out of 10 with 2,270 votes on IMDb, a 22 on Metacritic, and a 20% on RottenTomatoes.com with a 65% audience score, which sounds way off to me. I mean, if, if we're fucking voting below 50% on IMDb, <laughs> like what kind of arithmetic material or formula are they using on Rotten Tomatoes in order to calculate average? They're probably just doing mean rather than an yeah. arithmetic mean you know yeah i don't know i don't know of course imdb might be rated higher just because amazon owns it and they're making money off these uh vod sales so i don't know imdb is lower that's my point imdb user rating is 4.7 and 65 on rotten tomatoes so i'm like that's 18 points last i looked it was like 30 on rotten tomatoes or something 65 percent audience score is what i'm saying oh audience score all right yeah 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 but 18 18 points of spread in audience reactions you know and like Mm -hmm. the the critics the critics between metacritic and rotten tomatoes it's almost identical 22 and 20 you know Mm -hmm. so anyway this movie ranks highest amongst males aged less than 18 with a 7.0 and lowest amongst females aged 45 plus with a 3.5 that's really fucking bad that's our lowest (laughs) score yet 
Once again, I am dumbfounded by the 196 people who scored this movie a perfect 10 on IMDb. God damn it, people. (laughs) Seriously, learn objectivity. You can give something a 5. You don't have to give it a 10 or a 1. But my vote is with the 12.2% of voters who ranked this as a 1. If I could vote it in (laughs) fractions of a point, I would have. In the words of Richard Roper in the chauvinistic TV show Entourage, I would have thrown fruit if I I had some. <laughs> My favorite reviews begin with Peter De Bruges from Variety. Peter offers, quote, bloody, barely coherent, and about as fun as having your face dragged across asphalt from a moving SUV. <laughs> Original score, one out of four stars. David Rooney of The Hollywood Reporter musters, quote, despite a lot of admirable aims such as creating layered roles for the Latino acting community and spending production dollars in areas that could benefit from the economic boost, this grim bloodbath feels too routine to be much of interest. Original score, D minus, since he doesn't work off of stars with the hollywood reporter lastly carlos aguilar summarizes i'm sorry i didn't actually put carlos aguilar's uh newspaper one of the most atrocious viewing experiences of the year the tax collector relies on a trite visual language built on obvious flashbacks and bland imagery that match the unimaginatively dreadful writing where every latino in sight is a gangster original (laughs) score one out of four stars lastly the tax collector is not rated by the mpa presumably to save the producers the now almost $25,000 submission fee based on negative costs for them to garner an MPAA rating. So, I mean, it's a $30 million movie. Like, just fucking spend the money. How the fuck does this matter? I mean, it'd be a... No, it matters (laughs) matters in the sense that if they actually wanted to make money, if theaters start to reopen and they could re-release this thing, they can't put an unrated movie out there for the general public. It has to be rated by the NBAA. Then they pay the money and get the rating. Yeah, I guess it's true. Fucking scumbag. I waste money on a VOD movie (laughs) when you don't have to. (laughs) I mean, Netflix does it. So I've actually respected Netflix for that reason recently like actually getting the mpaa rating because i'm like it shows that they're willing to take part in the system and it's going to like change people's opinion i think in the film industry at over time that they're actually going the way that they're supposed to in order to make movies even though they're doing everything streaming but besides the fact so paul it's 1984 and billy bean steps up to the bat in his first major league season's ever playing for the New York Mets. Despite finishing second in the league with it with 90 wins and 72 loss record in 1984, the rookie Billy Bean and the Mets would win the penultimate game of the season against the Montreal Expos only to lose to them in the final game of the season the next day. But Billy steps up to the plate. It's September 29th, 1984. Later summer in Montreal is beautiful. The northern latitude combined with late summer weather yields a balmy 75 degree day. Randy St. Clair, who has the name of a fucking porn star, by the way, stands on the mound. It's top of the ninth and the Mets are down by six with a clear 
diamond, nobody on base. This would be Billy Bean's moment. He could establish himself as a rookie to watch. Billy cracks a fly ball toward third base with no runners on base. The play yields a single out. Billy Bean struck himself out with a fucking fly ball. This man would go on to finish the season a day later with probably the lowest hitting percentage ever on record, a solid .100. That means he hits one in every (laughs) 10 fucking balls that head his way. This would be his one and only hit of the season. This guy would go on to write a little book called Moneyball, the very basis of (laughs) modern sports statistics, and be played by Brad Pitt. He is exactly the kind of player that executive Billy Bean would shudder at. But you wouldn't know that for now. All you can think of is getting a cold Labatt Blue to ice your ball sack after that wicked grounder you suffered to the nuts in the seventh inning. And how the fuck this rookie is queuing up the ninth inning. You think to yourself, maybe it's a sympathy thing by manager Frank Kashan. Let the kid try. Put him out there. See what he does. You think to yourself as you wind up and you pitch this motherfucker to me. All right, all right. So I'm uh, I'm living the border of kind of East L.A. and I'm really tired of all the crime and everything. So I think we need to build a wall around East L.A. to keep <laughs> those people in there. Okay, now here's how it's going to work. I found that David Ayer has a script and it's got every Mexican stereotype on the books right there. Sure. And so we're going to crowdfund this bad boy. to build up support for this wall around East LA, all right? And it's I think it's going to work. There's every kind of character. You've got the Aztec, like, blood sacrifice drug lord from Mexico coming in illegally, and you got the drug dealers. And, yeah, you got this guy who's, like, a Catholic. Can you believe that? And so, yeah, I I know it's going to work. I know it's going to work. And the best part is we're going to get Shia LaBeouf to play a white guy turned Chicano. I mean, he's going to be the baddest motherfucker of all the bad guys. And it's just going to show, it's going to scare the shit out of all the white people. And it's going to get enough support to build this wall around East Nice. Nice. I dig it. I dig it. Is Shia LaBeouf the actual star in this movie? Well, no. I mean, but (laughs) it's going to be all Latino actors playing gangsters, except for Shia LaBeouf. Okay. We're going to market it towards white people so they get tricked into watching it. And then we're going to kill him off about a third of the way through. And they're going to be really confused. What the fuck? And then they're just going to have to be stuck watching all these Latinos doing horrible things and think to themselves, Jesus Christ, Donald Trump was correct about those Latinos. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Great. So, great. Nice, see nice propaganda movie here. <laughs> going to have all the worst stereotypes. Don't worry. This movie, dude, <laughs> seriously, this movie is that way. I mean, I feel like it is a propaganda movie in that way, man. It fucking like sickens me in so many ways because I'm just like, God damn, like how many fucking stereotypes can you cram into one goddamn movie? And to be written, I mean, okay. So first off, David Ayer like supposedly grew up in the same barrio as the, the actor Bobby Soto, who plays the lead role in this movie. And supposedly it's like somewhere near Echo Park and like David's from the hood and he knows what's up. But I'm like, I don't know if he knows what's up. Like, he doesn't have a criminal record that I could find online. And <laughs> that's not to say that's not to say that he didn't do some shit and then get it expunged because he's rich. But I'm like, dude, 
<clears throat> I'm sorry. He's a white guy that says he's from East LA and says that he knows what's what. And I'm like, no, no. I mean, everything that you write rings false. Like there's very little that actually rings true. And in terms of him shooting in like areas that are like authentic, that's almost entirely due to that line producer that I was speaking about earlier. Like he did Southland the same way. He shot in a lot of really bad areas. He did training day. He did mm-hmm. basically everything that David Ayer has ever done. He gets them into those neighborhoods. So I don't know if it is David Ayer or if it's just him fucking writing some shit that he thinks is the way that it is and you know he yeah. makes these movies. But right off the bat, Paul, <laughs> first first fucking stereotype right out of the gate before we even see anybody. Graffiti credits, bro. Great. Way to reinforce <laughs> stereotypes, David. Especially with the sugar skull and the old English script as it comes up with the tax collector. Bro, that's cholo as fuck. <laughs> Yeah, no, I look at this movie and I'm like, okay, that may have been cholo <laughs> as fuck like 20 years ago when yeah. I was a teenager. So all that stuff was cool back then for uh, <laughs> all the little gangsters that hung around me when I was a kid. But I, I wonder, mean, I mean, I know nothing about this culture anymore. <laughs> I don't, I live in Washington and then, yeah, it doesn't really exist here. But Well, I mean, in, in, in LA, East LA gang culture and in a lot of parts of Albuquerque, like that is still popular and you'll still see like yeah. the bandanas around their head and the shaved heads and like the wife beaters and the saggy jeans and the low riders and all that other shit and the tats but like it's not to this extent like one of the biggest things that's missing in this whole movie besides Bobby Soto's character is that there's no sense of family between the gangsters and that's something that's like really important in Latino culture even if you're doing some fucked up shit like you have a very very strict sense of like honor and like family value and like they just skip over all of that except for Bobby Soto because he's the one good Latino in this big group of like (laughs) fucking maniacs but you know while I'm watching this movie the wife Alexis wakes up and immediately asks if the kids are okay all because of a dream she knows it's a dream because they're obviously not in Hawaii swimming but she (laughs) asked anyway because quote the dream felt real whatever but you know this is a a traditional heteronormative latino family that is catholic but they wouldn't pray like christians dude they're sitting there around their table in the first scene and they're praying over breakfast like they're christians saying whatever they want if they're really catholic and they do sign themselves the only prayer that they would say is the average food prayer that every catholic says hell most catholics don't pray over their food like this that's the fucking crazy part I mean, it's always, bless us, O Lord, for this food which we are about to receive through Christ our Lord. Amen. That's the fucking Catholic prayer for food. But they go on this like soliloquy where he's praying to Jesus, which is in direct violation of Catholic dogma, which you're supposed to pray for, you know, either to Mary or to God directly, not to Jesus. But besides the fact... There's this funny part at the end credits where they show, what's the name of the mother character again? Uh, Alexis. Alexis. They show her like picture and she has the little like halo around her. Yeah. And you know, DeSoto or whatever his name is always talks about how innocent she is. And like the first big scene with her is them counting this giant pile of money (laughs) and her talking about how it's 20 grand short. And I'm like, okay, you kind of lost the credibility (laughs) that she's this angelic innocent character when she's complicit and counting the money and all of it 
and they so try to portray uh, her as collateral damage throughout this movie. Yeah, absolute bullshit. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a cliche that I hate in gangster movies is the super fly gangster. The number one way for the cops to notice you is flashy car and dressing flashy, especially if you live in a not so great neighborhood. You're asking for a cop to notice you and pull you over but like i fucking hate this stereotype dude it drives me insane but number one complaint of all david ayer movies and i mentioned this to you before last week but white guys being portrayed as the ultimate badass and culturally appropriating the slang of the neighborhood (laughs) it drives me insane overly elaborate money laundering info exchange montages also drive me insane which is the very next fucking scene did you understand any Anything that was happening in that I, I got that there was information coming from prison and they were giving it to them in order to tell them like the tax collections that they're supposed to do and how much they owe and he's like keeping a ledger book of these like transactions but it's like so fucking complicated <laughs> they're like writing it on small pieces of paper and then putting it inside of pill capsules and then he swallows them and then somehow this girl in another scene has them in her hand after that and is opening them up in order to get the I, don't, I didn't fucking understand what was happening <laughs> Squats over a bedpan after a few hours and uh, shits him out and the girl has to go get him out of the shit. Like little pieces of corn niblets or something. And then (laughs) that's how they communicate. It's, uh, I mean, using cell phones. I mean, obviously that's compromised. You can't really do that. So, uh, I mean, it seems like a foolproof way to do it. Right. But, but he, he, the fucking boss takes all these pills and then shits in a bedpan and then gives it to somebody. If he is smuggling his shit out, like literally his shit, wouldn't it be easier for, I don't know, him to just smuggle the pieces of paper out with somebody? It seems like, I mean, especially or just remember names stuff and number, I mean, like dollar amounts. Work instead of writing it down and then yeah. shitting it out later. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then there's all these other like uh, montage moments and one of them that they pan past is Shia LaBeouf sitting there in like a fucking protective overall gear and there's a guy hanging in a bathtub in a bloody chainsaw and I'm like, oh, nice Scarface <laughs> reference, David. Yeah, thanks for that, fuckhead. But Shia, Shia LaBeouf going on about his diet so he can lose weight. The body is a machine, science dog, all that bullshit. I fucking hate that, dude. I'm like, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> and it only shows up in a couple of scenes and then it's just dropped. They never talk yeah. about it again. It reminds me of like, what Tom fuck? Cruise's character in, uh, what's the uh, Michael Mann movie with? Uh, oh, Collateral? Collateral, yeah, that's the one. Kind of reminds me of his nihilism in that. Eh, Well, he borrowed from Michael Mann, so what? All right, but wow, David, a white boy with a Latina fetish. Thank you for that. (laughs) I really appreciate you you showing me that. Fuck you, David Ayer. (laughs) But Shia... Shia, seriously, take the goddamn lokes off, man. Throughout this whole goddamn movie, he's wearing his sunglasses at, like, night while he's driving. (laughs) I'm like, what the fuck? So badass. I'm like, I get it. I get it, man. Latinos love lokes. I'm not going to fucking debate that. I like lokes, man. OG lokes are dope. (laughs) But I'll never own a pair of lokes because guess what? They have a specific fucking culture behind them that I don't want to take part in. But... What's George, with the Shia LaBeouf's ears in this movie? Are they... Cauliflower? <laughs> yeah. 
He's he's got cauliflower ears in this movie, but it doesn't make any sense because he's like skinny as a fucking rail. And I'm like, I don't believe for a second that this guy was a wrestler because like that's where cauliflower or a boxer, like that's where cauliflower ears come from. Oh, uh, I see. Okay, I don't know what the fuck. Yeah, it's like if, that, if you look at like Mike Ti- Mike Tyson's ears, they're like full like Shia's like that. There's no definition on the inner cartilage, hmm. and it's just from getting Being hit in the side of the head. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like the cartilage basically explodes and it swells and then the swelling never goes down because there's not any like blood flow in your cartilage. But besides the fact, uh, George Lopez, motherfucker, George Lopez, Uh, they start talking about they start talking about clearly underworld shit when Shia and Bobby come in to talk to him. Then they suddenly switch to sign language. Wouldn't the first part of their conversation be damning if they really were listening like they were talking about? He's like, oh, I need you to go see so and so and so and so, you know, they owe me this, that and the other. And then they switch over to (laughs) fucking sign language. Like, come on, dude. He said they're listening. Why the fuck would you say shit about his business? If they're listening, but whatever. But now there's a superstitious Latino saying meditation is satanic. Seriously, (laughs) Bobby Soto, dude, I'm sick of these stereotypes right off the bat, but it's just like cliche, cliche, cliche. If Shia really is an enforcer as he's supposed to be in this movie, why would he be worried about his shoes and his suit? He says, you know, oh, are we going to kill anybody today? Like, I-, I wore this nice suit, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, if he's an enforcer, he's expecting to have to punch somebody or beat the shit out of somebody or stab somebody <laughs> or shoot somebody at any moment. Seems like he wouldn't want to wear something like this precisely because he might get blood on it throughout the day. But no, a three a three piece suit. Yeah, that's a good Tuesdays choice, are Shia. his usually his usual killing days, you know, but it was a win. Wednesday, so he thought he'd wear something nice and then yeah you know, he gets done all this <laughs> bullshit you know dude they go over and they see this guy in order to get some money and i don't care what neighborhood in la you are in a gang member would not be hanging out on an open balcony opening openly brandishing a fucking shotgun because guess what they do patrols in bad neighborhoods in la too as much as david ayer wants to believe that they don't do patrols in the jungle in la they do cops drive through there all the fucking time they'd be hiding that shit but it would be close you know like behind a chair or behind a doorway or something like that but they wouldn't be standing there like they're guarding fucking alcatraz with this fucking shotgun in front of them that's how you know but they're regardless, bad yeah i know i know but jesus the guy that played bone in training day shows up and he looks old as fuck man i know it's been 19 years since we've seen him and i appreciate that he's still trying to use like these old actors that he like worked with back in the day and whatnot but like i have a hard time believing that this guy's a thug man he looks more like a grandfather you know what i mean <laughs> he just has to keep with it man he's the, the patriarch of the whole thing yeah yeah no for you sure you don't retire you know <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Noel, and then again, you know, right after that, the next scene, Noel Guglielmi shows up and he's the guy, like, if you don't remember, he was in Harsh Times as well. He played Ghost. He played the, the, the like, nephew of Casper, the guy that, like, shoots fucking Christian Bale's character at the end. And he's, like, that weird, that, like, guy that walks out and he's like, oh, here's the money, man. And he sees Christian Bale. He's like, oh, fuck no. And he pulls out the gun. <laughs> 
that guy right. and he's also in training day and he's in uh end of watch as well he's in like everything that david nice. ayer fucking writes but like to his credit though the guy that plays bone hasn't been in very much but noel dude when i looked him up he's in he has 219 acting credits yeah. man yeah like that guy is fucking working like a fucking dog, man. Huh. He's only been acting since the year 2000. So in 20 years, he does 10 fucking projects a year. Like, wow. how is that possible? But he's cashing those checks, man. That's Good cool. for him. You know, all, all the more power to him. But I'm just thinking to myself when I see Bone and then I see him, I'm like, is the whole fucking cast a training day in this movie? <laughs> But, you know, I mean, the, the inciting incident of this movie, I thought, was that the 20 grand was short, right? Right. And she mentions that the count is short and that, like, David is going to have to, like, figure this shit out. But, no, the inciting incident doesn't come until much later in the fucking movie. And that's that, you know, Shia's character gets killed and then it's a revenge movie. You know, spoiler alert, obviously. <laughs> but <laughs> ah, That pissed me off. This movie reminds me of the most recent Godzilla movie where the trailer <laughs> is all Brian Cranston. Right. Uh -huh. And so you walk in expecting some cool, weird Brian Cranston thing happening, but he dies in the first five minutes of the movie. And you're like, God <laughs> damn it. Now I've got a two hour fucking movie. With no Brian Cranston. With Brian Cranston. <sighs> I, w I was sort of expecting something like that from this movie that Shia would die, but I knew he was going to die because it's a fucking David Ayer movie and like <laughs> he has to kill somebody in some horrible way yeah. that's like a main character. But at the same time, I was just like, when he dies where he does in the movie, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what? what is this like what is this movie and like the bobby soto the guy who plays david yep. he isn't that interesting and he's not that well played so he's not charismatic there's not a whole lot going on there so when it switches to his character right. and you realize that you're gonna have to sit through the rest of the movie it's like oh jesus <laughs> like why and then i'm supposed to care about his wife yeah. and his family yeah. <laughs> they're all growing up to be you know his, his wife is a fucking mm -hmm. drug uh what do you want to call it accountant i guess <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but dude wait. so they find out that the count is 20 grand short and then they go and they check out this dude right that like they got some money from earlier and the, they start threatening this guy for the 20 grand and they're yelling at him but if you look in the wide shot the front door is wide <laughs> open <laughs> <laughs> and i know it's a stylistic lighting choice but come on dude i can see the cars in the street driving by and i can clearly see the light brandishing on the outside of his gun as he's putting it down this guy's throat and i'm like somebody's gonna call the cops or somebody's gonna get involved this seems like the sort of thing that they don't want to be doing in a gang neighborhood where i don't know there might be other gang members that might run up on these two fucking guys Maybe and blast they're, them. Uh, trying to make an example of them so they're leaving the door open so the whole neighborhood yep, can hear the screams and stuff <laughs> If they wanted to make an ex example of him, they drag him out on the fucking turf of his front yard. They put a bullet in the back of his head and they cut his head off and leave it on the fence post. That's how you make a fucking statement that something's up, but not this like, oh, you know what? Sit on your couch, man. Be cool. Chill. You know, like, I'm just... <laughs> fuck out of here. But also, dude says in the freezer is a TV dinner with the money. And Shia makes a joke about his diet. Like, oh, I don't need TV dinners, man. I'm on a diet. Even he knows this joke isn't going to land with this guy. <laughs> 
It's made specifically for the non-existent audience to think is clever and to laugh. And it fucking sucks because it rings false. Do people like, call them TV dinners? I don't, know. I don't actually know, man. I mean, the last time I heard anybody refer to a, a TV dinner, it was a hungry man dinner or Mary, Mary, no, Marie, Marie, what the fuck is the weight? Uh, healthy choice. Healthy choice. That's the one. Uh. That's the last, they refer to it by the brand name. I've never heard anybody call it a TV dinner. That's what they called like, it in the 50s. Yeah, right. That's when it was fucking invented. But whatever. You're a little late on your slang there, David. But, but you know, dude, they let him keep the money because his daughter has leukemia. And all he does is ask him how old your daughter is and, like, all this other shit that's, like, very easily be, like, made up. But this, this homie's got to have at least 20 grand floating around somewhere in his house. Like, come on. Get the fuck out of here. He's, uh, like, he's like Michael Corleone, you know? He's got that dude, dichotomy of wanting I to be a good so Christian, <laughs> but also being murderous bastard right it's so this clever. goddamn movie <laughs> is like literally pulling from the godfather yeah. like crazy oh, yeah. dude. and like, that's one of the things that pissed me off the most is i'm like oh david is michael corleone okay i get this oh you know what i saw this movie it was fucking 50 <laughs> years ago god damn you david air well maybe again, the audience for this movie hasn't seen the godfather are you fucking kidding me dude people people that see gangster movies are the only people that have any sense of film history because like gang of like, of like the normal yeah. public yeah because they see all the gangster movies all the classics everything from the 70s the 60s the 80s they see all that shit and if you talk to anybody who loves gangster movies they've seen a fuck ton of really good gangster <laughs> yeah, movies that's true, that's true. and i think that's kind of interesting but anyway they they move on and they're gonna go see hillside trece right hillside trece is a fictional gang that david ayer invented from the movie training day and every movie since then that he has written they always mention hillside trece <laughs> and it pisses me the fuck off because i'm like dude come up with another name you know any other name it doesn't matter like it doesn't fucking matter like stop saying hillside thresday because it's driving me nuts he because all he i'm gonna created do, it so now it's part of his own little universe just like tarantino right. all of his movies have like <laughs> apple cigarettes and shit like that you know red apple yeah, yeah red apple cigarettes but He's no just dude, it's like a, his own <laughs> his own universe yeah. But like Hillside Thresse is like the gang that Smiley in Training Day was associated with. You know, the guy that like puts Ethan Hawke in the fucking bathtub yeah. and says he's going to blast him. Which Cliff Curtis is fucking awesome in that yeah, movie, dude. Badass. Like him as Smiley is amazing. Like I fucking love him in that movie. But besides the point. But dude, they go they go and they meet Hillside Thresse and they meet this guy. Looks like he's a fucking running back for the Green Bay Packers. He's got that blonde ponytail. <laughs> and he says, oh, hey, have a pistol, homies. And I'm like, what the fuck? fuck like this movie's dealing in cliche after cliche doesn't make me want to keep watching this on top of the fact that it's a white guy dealing with another white guy and i'm like what the fuck like is this east la or what the fuck am i watching because this guy obviously looks like a goddamn like russian mob dude but not a fucking gang member for a latino gang you sure he didn't just like didn't just dye his hair blonde or something no, dude, oh. go back and look at that scene. <laughs> this guy looks like a fucking blonde, blue-eyed, Aryan motherfucker. He could be in the Aryan no, Brotherhood. Like, if you showed him as the... Some Ar diversity in skin color of people of Mexico. And so, I mean, come on. No, no, not that much fucking <laughs> All right, diversity. So, is it cultural appropriation if a black man plays a lawyer or something like that in a movie? No. <laughs> All right, hang on. Just, just, hang on. Two seconds here. <laughs> 
two problems here. The first one is that you're assuming that a profession is specific to a particular race, and that's different than cultural appropriation because that's an occupation versus a culture. The second problem is, is that cultural appropriation is taking somebody's history-bound culture and making it your own, even though you have no stake in that culture. So an excellent example is Justin Timberlake growing dreads and trying to rap. And I'm like, you fucking twat. Like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Anyway, he, uh, you know, they go and they meet this uh, this Russian mob guy that's supposedly part of this Latino gang. But fucking Shia LaBeouf says, put the Fetty on the table. Like, put the Fetty on the table or put the money on the table. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, please, please. I've, I've never, I mean, that's not to say that it's never happened before, but I've never heard somebody use a partial Spanish word like that before. Like, it's always Fetia. It's not Fetty. Like, I've never heard that before. Well, maybe that was part of his method acting thing and he went down there and learned all the slang and i mean it could be i don't i don't part of the (laughs) part of the language that they use in east la (laughs) i'll recant on that point for a second because we we now see we now see conejo which means rabbit by the way if you didn't know who is a rapper in real life because every rapper needs an acting career and every rapper needs to reinforce their street cred by playing their own version of themselves in a movie where dude seriously this is like them playing house with like all their friends and playing dress up i'm like dude it for me honestly like when i see a rapper doing this kind of shit i'm embarrassed for them because i'm just like dude like you're fucking like you're just playing house you're playing make-believe with all your friends with fake guns it's like you're being a little kid you know like what the fuck are you doing and this is supposed to like reinforce your street cred like fuck you man what about but, ice cube you know, and his long list of uh family comedies and things like that <laughs> <laughs> it works that he, if he's doing those versus... you know you know that that's a that's an excellent point because uh ice cube in like boys in the hood is one thing and then seeing ice cube do like what was it the pacifier no that was vin diesel uh are we there yet his yeah, disney movie go. and i was like oh god <laughs> Like, what the fuck happened, man? What happened to NWA and fuck the police, man? <laughs> he got rich the, the and uh, then he has kids. <laughs> and uh, everything falls the, Yeah. The hardest part for me, dude, is when I see a rapper, like, years down the line playing a cop. Like, Ice-T <laughs> on SVU. <laughs> like, dude, what the fuck happened, man? But this, this leads us into the scene that I was talking about earlier, which is uh, Shia LaBeouf wearing Lokes at night sure you know why not you're driving through east la and and if you've ever been to like east la or like compton or whatever like every disenfranchised neighborhood like that lacks street lamps so there's not a lot of lamp light out there so he's driving around in like this dimly lit neighborhood with like thick ass lokes on you know how many you know how many like mexican dudes that i've known over the years that have like the illegal tint on their windows where it's so dark that at night you can't see through the fucking windows now pair that with that he's wearing lokes it's fucking ridiculous but you know here here's it's like an eye patch uh, when you go under decks when you're a pirate you know right you flip it up but then you just pull off your lokes if it's really dark see and then you got good night vision if you're ready i get that okay all right yeah though he's a pirate okay you have a huge complaint that there's so many scenes in this movie where you can't tell what the fuck is going on because it's so dark and the editing is terrible at the same time. Yeah. So it's like a double whammy of what the fuck. Yeah, no, man. <sighs> 
but you know he he goes into this like spiel that they show in the trailer about how he has a shitload of guns on him right that he has a 38 on each ankle a 25 on his hip you know a chopper in the trunk all this other shit but he says that he has all these fucking guns on him but how he's wearing a <laughs> slim cut suit dude like you'd all right. see all of his lumpy edges where his guns are yeah. <laughs> I'm like what the fuck not only that in his like scene where he gets hit with the like pipe bomb or whatever and he's like laying on the ground and he has one gun and he's out yeah. of bullets where the fuck are all <laughs> of his other guns man what the fuck i know Bragging so much about, for being oh, on it yeah i know what the shit man <laughs> You know what my biggest problem was with this movie actually was that more so than anything was that he's built up in the trailer and in the movie as being like this badass like this devil that's not afraid to kill and he chops motherfuckers apart and whatnot. He doesn't kill one motherfucker this entire goddamn movie other than the flashback scenes and then all of a sudden he just gets pipe bombed and the next thing we know he's tortured and his head get crushed and I'm like what the fuck man like he didn't even kill anybody. But whatever. Uh, I wish the head crushing scene was more gory and violent. I know. Dude, you could see that they were throwing the blood off screen. Mm -hmm. Like that shit did not look real. Mm -hmm. But it was a good opportunity for some cool makeup effects and stuff. I know, especially if you're not doing the MPAA rating, man. You could fucking destroy some people's (laughs) psyche with this shit. I think it would have been cool. Maybe we should uh, CG in like a Shia LaBeouf. Getting his head, head crushing kind oh of dude thing, you know in there if it was like if it was like the opening of irreversible but with like somebody <laughs> stomping his head in and blood spraying like i i mean that would have fucked me up for sure but like doing this like you know upper three-quarter high angle like type bullshit and you see blood flying through the frame and like Kanejo doing his thing i'm like what the fuck is this man this is some cheap bullshit <laughs> some low budget filmmaking technique yeah. going on here but this this leads us into George Lopez trying to be intimidating. And it's not convincing, bro. He says, if you weren't my nephew, I'd stick your head in the fucking fire until you stop moving. I'm like, right. <laughs> did, did not buy that at all. But I'm like, come on, dude. But, you know, th- this, this scene leads me to my sandwich beef, okay? <laughs> So first off, I get sticking to traditions in what you know, okay? God knows I've been to plenty of cookouts where the carnitas were crisped on the barbecue because somebody didn't know how to use the fucking stove, which is really bizarre. But besides the fact, but that's just it, dude. We always had a barbecue in whoever's backyard we happen to be in. I've never seen, like in this movie, a 55-gallon drum behind George Lopez with a grill on top of it that they're grilling meat on. I've never seen that (laughs) shit in my life. But I realize I can't say that this is true for all Latinos because obviously I'm not every Latino out there and I haven't been in every single culture that is available to the Latino community. But I will say that I have a real goddamn problem with El Compadre Mexican food on Sunset Boulevard in LA. (laughs) All right. Full disclosure, I think I was drunk when I went in there, but it was my friend Laura's roommate's birthday, and she wanted us to go to this world-renowned, like, Mexican place in L.A. Oh, white is she, I by was the way? Most, uh, what, her, her, her roommate? Oh, the fucking roommate? Oh, white as fuck, okay. dude, from right. Atlanta, Georgia. This girl is a Georgia peach <laughs> on every single fucking thing. But anyway, while I was most... <laughs> 
While I was most likely drunk, my opinion on Mexican food is not affected in any way by this because El Compadre does not know how to cook rellenos. Flat out, full stop. Uh -huh. If you don't know what a relleno is, it's a charred pepper, green chili, Anaheim, poblano, and even jalapeno that they peel the char off the skin, fill it with cheese, bread it in a fluffy flour egg batter, and deep fry that motherfucker. Mm. And then they smother that shit in either red or green sauce. In New Mexico, it's red or green chili. And top that shit with melted cheddar cheese. It's dope. It is heaven yeah. on a plate. Yeah, that's amazing. It's flat out. It's spicy. I can back it's that cheesy. Up. Oh, Jesus. Oh, dude. But I've been to Mexico, both northern and southern. And while I grew up in Albuquerque, where the relleno is a green chili pepper based, a roasted pepper is exactly that. Roasted. If there are any motherfuckers from El Compadre listening... The poblano pepper is meant to be charred first prior to stuffing that motherfucker with cheese. Furthermore, a relleno is meant to be breaded, motherfucker. They aren't meant to be served open-faced with melted cheese and garnish. The riennos at El Compadre are not charred and served open-faced with no breading. So you're left with something that has the texture of a fucking bell pepper with unevenly melted cheese that is stuck under the salamander heater in the kitchen not at all what a rieno is or should be this thing was so bad i didn't even finish my plate <laughs> i ate one pepper thinking it was uneven and maybe the charred and breaded bit was in there somewhere but i was wrong picture it paul God this is a drunk mexican guy who drank <laughs> a lot on an empty stomach eating a relleno and he had to spit that shit back out because it was so bad God yeah damn. enough said get your shit together el compadre <laughs> go fuck yourself until then Wait, Moving what kind on. of pepper was it again? It was a poblano, it's dude. A poblano. Hey, man, if you don't roast those, the skin is like this thick. It's tough. Yeah. It's, it's uh, tough. Yeah. You have to saw through that yeah. shit. What the fuck, well, whatever, man? you know, what the, piece the, of shit. Like I said, all right, I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> they, they serve it open face too. They just like slit the pepper open, put it in the salamander with some meat and some cheese and the garnish on it, and they stick it under the salamander to melt the cheese and they send it out like that. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, what the fuck, <laughs> man? But getting back to this movie. David asks his wife the real reason they fell in love as they're sitting in bed, and she reveals she manipulated him but then changed her mind on asking for him to kill her dad, only for him to shit on her because he doesn't like people wanting things from him. Like, he couldn't have been that stupid not to see that a naive, self-described Mexican-American princess wanted something from him? Like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Well, even then, Besides he's the still, like, worships her as some kind of Mary Goddess, figure yeah. or something like that. Yeah. How innocent mm -hmm. she is. But yeah, it's like mm -hmm. two strikes against her in this movie already. She's a manipulator and uh, also she counts all his dirty money. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. But wow, you know, it's a good thing that Uncle George Lopez gave his, his niece exactly $20,000 for a quinceanera that everyone trades looks without being noticed by George. <laughs> 
he's like, oh, here. And he gives her the opening, the open envelope that has the two stacks in it. And like fucking Bobby Soto takes it and he looks at his wife and then she looks at him and then they look at like his cousin or whatever. And like everybody looks at each other and George is sitting right between all of them <laughs> and doesn't see this fucking look. Like, come on, dude. But David, David is morose because, quote, daddy didn't love him, right? But like he knew that shit for years. All of a sudden he turns morose at the party. And for what? Because somebody made a joke about his dad? He knows that shit. You know, like... <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. Like, I, I know that I've seen this before in my own family where like little or like big offenses like that blow up out of proportion and people are like, what the fuck is grandma so upset about? <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, dude, she didn't even say anything that bad. His cousin didn't say anything that bad to him. She just like made some well, crack about his dad. I mean, we do learn a little bit more about his dad at the end of the movie when you find out he's the wizard and yeah. he doesn't Great taxi driver yeah, reference, yeah. you fucking hack. <laughs> whatever <laughs> but you know well, let, i mean uh, that's kind of a fucked up relationship right there and uh i mean my grandma shot at me and i'm not a morose <laughs> motherfucker but anyway so conejo's girl shows up into this party which if david is supposed to be this guy that's like hooked in and he's an enforcer and shit and he doesn't have anybody like looking out for his house because he's like the main right, enforcer right. for the wizard not to mention the son and conejo's like main girl who's like turns out to be a killer walks in just shows up at the quinceanera after yeah. creeper goes on a long soliloquy about he doesn't believe in god and that when he pulls their card they go dark i'm their god then she gives him a card and, and it's like an ace of hearts, I think, that's like completely uh, black. I, I can tell. It was summon. too dark. The cinematography <laughs> was too dark. Tell what the fuck she gave him. But to summon him to meet his uncle in Conejo, what could possibly go wrong, Paul? I mean, it's just it's just this random girl that you know is of your enemy showing up <laughs> with a black card ace of hearts and she's like oh you need to go talk to your uncle like get the fuck out of here but i don't know could it be a setup maybe is it the middle of the movie and no one has been killed yet maybe it's the midpoint turnaround <laughs> like, it's so fucking obvious and there it is another long soliloquy before conejo shows that uncle george's head is in a cooler then conejo goes on yet another long <laughs> rant about kissing the ring etc can we just stop idolizing rappers like this dude this is the world that Conejo wants to be associated with but this is all a fantasy man the equivalent of rappers playing dress up with their friends fuck you Conejo. <laughs> you know what dude if I'm in East LA I will tweet where I am and I will tag you and you can come and fucking shoot at me if you're so hard you piece of shit regardless <laughs> But, you know, David David doesn't kiss the ring and now it's a revenge movie because this is the weirdest thing about the movies. It turns into like a double revenge movie is that yeah. at first David wants to kill because they killed his uncle and then he wants to kill after Creeper's dead. And then there's actually a Triple third one when revenge. his wife fucking oh, dies. Shit. Yeah. But, you know, because dick measuring is the largest conflict and most human conflict David Ayer can muster, like... <laughs> seriously it's like oh you think you're the big dick you know like let me show you my dick and then i slap it down on the table and then he walks out like what the fuck time. is this yeah. movie? a lot of dick measuring but this movie desperately 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 wants to be the godfather david is obviously michael and he doesn't want to become the man his father was but now he's forced into becoming the bad man he's been avoiding i fucking hate that about this movie <laughs> 
God damn you, David Ayer. But in this scene where they are discussing options with the business suits, that Shia has cauliflower ears. It took me to this point to notice that. Like I said, he's super skinny. He's not a wrestler type and he's not a boxer type, but somehow he has fully grown cauliflower ears. That's supposed to represent how hard he is. And he's, you know, taken a beating many times in his life. So that's why he has cauliflower ears. Fuck him, dude. You know, side note, hang on for a second. (laughs) So part part of Shia's crazy bullshit is that like he did a movie, I can't remember which movie it is, but he's supposed to have like a scar on his cheek, right? Two two little scars on his cheek. And so I can't remember what movie it is, but Shia stabbed himself in the face twice in order to get those scars in his cheek, right? And they're there in this movie. You can see it right, on his right cheek. Yeah. But Method for Fury <laughs> For Fury, he was supposed to play this like Bible thumping, like Southern type. And so he thought to himself like, oh, what is Southern? And so he decided to pull all of his teeth out with a fucking plier in his garage. (laughs) And he left himself with like four teeth. So that way he could do that movie method and play that character. But then cut to this, this fucking movie. This movie, he wanted to go method again. So what does he do? He tattoos his entire torso with gang symbols and real tattoos, people, in order to get into the character of Creeper. I'm like, dude, god damn it, man. <laughs> yeah. And then you never see the tattoos in this movie. And then you never see the tattoos. How fucking horrible is that, dude? For like a tenth of a second, they like pan over his body when the fucking girl is like beating his legs out with a fucking <laughs> hammer. And then like, that's it. That's all you see. There's no detail. And I'm like, wow, you permanently scarred your body with something that you have no idea what that culture really is because you didn't come from that culture for what? For a tenth of a second on screen? Fuck him. In but- a shitty VOD movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. Shia walks up to pledge his need to kill Conejo to David, right? Then he uses the line from Casino. I'm going to keep hitting him until one of us is dead. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, I saw Casino. Robert De Niro used that line already with Joe Pesci. Stop fucking doing this shit. But I saw this movie, Mr. Aaron. Oh, shit. <laughs> for real man like he keeps saying i'm gonna hit hitting him until one of us is dead and he gets hit once and he's fucking and he's dead. dead and i'm like you're a pussy and dude like fuck you yeah. fuck you you're down after one Such hit down. two <laughs> two hits dude he hits you and your dick hits the fucking dirt like that's all you got in this movie shia that's all you got and there's the homoerotic moment in this scene a hand clap a long hug and then a forehead touch as they longingly embrace each other, saying that they're going to go down together. It's not very but they much. Don't. They don't go down together, uh-uh. man. Only Canelo. <laughs> Canelo goes and fucks him up. They cut into this next scene where Canelo is worshiping Santa Muerte again. Going back to what we said in Bad Boys 3. Worshiping Santa Muerte because Santa Muerte is evil and David being a good Catholic is good. You know, like they very blatantly put this shit together and then they fucking... There's a priestess painted black bringing over an obvious human <laughs> sacrifice to bathe him in her blood. Like, dude, I'm so confused by this movie. It's like, that's like a totally different scene from like Suspiria or something. And uh, the whole I time he's... He was like going for an Aztec thing or something like that. Maybe. He has like an Aztec I mean, tattoo on his torso in that scene. So that's I was true. Like, oh, maybe that's it's true. Uh, he's doing a sacrifice to the sun god or whatever i thought i i thought i saw santa muerte in there but maybe it was kind of a mix of all kinds of different random bullshit yeah 
every everything that makes Latinos and indigenous people scary. Yep. but she slits his she slits her throat and he bathes in her blood i was really confused because i thought that was the wife for a minute there because it was so (laughs) poorly lit and everything right 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 and you only see her face for a second so i was like oh did he just murder her wife and bathe in her blood because that's pretty hardcore that's cool but then she's that would have been better dude But like literally the next scene, we see Alexis working in an office building and she's like talking to somebody and she's wearing a suit and then she walks out on a phone call. And I'm like, what is this scene? Like she works like as an accountant for the fucking like Mexican cartel or whatever. But she's like talking to someone in this fucking random office building wearing this pinstripe suit. I was confused by that. But then then we lead to a FaceTime torture scene with Conejo's busty girl beating the shit (laughs) out of creeper because why not you know i mean this is this is what facetime was created for you know <laughs> this leads us to dumb fuck moment number one conejo kills creeper and stomps his head in i have to say i was expecting that like i said you know i just don't expect david to be the protagonist he's boring he's underdeveloped and he's a bad actor i'm sorry bobby soto but you're a bad actor dude but now we are stuck with him for the rest of this fucking movie <laughs> But this this yeah. this movie goes completely narratively flaccid with Creeper being gone. So why did Shia get his torso actually tattooed for this movie? It's fucking stupid, dude. Uh, fucking no, I have no idea. It's, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, such lit. <laughs> David has this giant drum of money buried behind his cousin's backyard under some very obvious bricks that are out of place. But he digs this shit up, and lo and behold, he's got like over a million, a million six, I think, is what they said in that. I looked, barrel. I looked at the pile, and it's like, ah, oh, that's like a million and a half. And then they say million, <laughs> million and a million half, six, million six. You know, I'm like, dude, oh yeah, my money estimated. <laughs> that's pretty good. All right. To to their credit, though, <laughs> like they are pretty accurate in that. Like people oftentimes movies get this wrong is that like the very physicality of money is fucking ridiculous. Like it's heavy, it's bulky. Like you can't steal them. You can't put a million dollars in a briefcase, like flat out, like stop doing that shit. (laughs) Stop doing that shit, Hollywood. You can't put a million dollars in a briefcase. The few movies that have gotten it right, and I hate to put this movie in that same category, is heat is really accurate when it comes to the weight of money and how much money actually is there and the dark knight puts money in perspective because both of those movies accurately depict how heavy and how bulky money is it's fucking ridiculous but besides the fact so prima gives david a gun and says it was his dad's and has a lot of murders on it because why not is this supposed to make me feel more for david (laughs) this is like the sword being handed over to the son that the prince dude this is literally fucking godfather like does he like use the gun in the game no dude he doesn't use the gun Like, he's vindicated in his anger and his dad is blessing him. Like, he's knighting him like a fucking knight with a sword or some shit. It's fucking stupid on top of the fact that she unwraps it in, like, a blue handkerchief. And I'm like, okay, so was his dad a fucking crip? Is that what I'm led to believe? Because if his dad was a crip and it's very obvious that, like, David is in with, like, Bone and those guys, which are bloods. Like, how the fuck did he cross that line and, like, somehow get the bloods on his side in order to go and help him in the end in order to rescue his kids i was confused by that but Wait, these are little questions to do with being crypt 
the the gun that she unwraps right. out of a bandana the bandana is blue and like his dad is wearing blue in prison like everything around him yeah. is blue well maybe like, that's Bone just is... a blue bandana and no 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 the no, thing no. he's wearing in you prison is the prison uniform you have to wear you don't, you're not allowed to wear get, colors in prison. you don't you don't get to wear like make a fucking gang movie and just pull out one of the main fucking colors yeah. of a gang mm-hmm. and not explain that shit. Like I'm going to question it because I'm like, I know what that is. A blue bandana is a fucking crip symbol, bro. Like a red bandana is a blood symbol, but I'm going to get pissed like I am right now and question your whole goddamn movie because I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? What the fuck is going on? Regardless, <laughs> I'm going to move on before I blow a blood vessel. But first, but first he has to go visit his mom and get blessed by her i didn't get that scene either he goes to like some fucking nursing home and his mom is in like a wheelchair with like a fucking uh what do you call it like one of those uh nose tubes or like nose masks yeah, she's got an oxygen and, and he sits there and he like says something all in montage with like the sound or with the music blaring and does like a little fucking like blessing thing and i'm like why like why does he need to go talk to his mom well i mean he's well, thinking he's gonna die so might as well he says goodbye to his mom but if he's gonna die he takes all of his money with him like mom is fucked like dad's in prison (laughs) (laughs) come on man you know like for real but you know wow this is going to david ayer but the dead wife reveal scene didn't see that coming david this guy has been wasting time and calling everyone and seeing his mom and he's surprised even though he called his wife in the previous scene when he pulled all the money out and said we need to get the fuck out of here blah 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 he goes and he wastes time saying goodbye to his mom and talking to his prima for a while and like get the (laughs) fuck out of here like he's wasting all this time and calling everyone and then he's surprised that Conejo caught up with his family like Conejo had the whole goddamn day at this point (laughs) you know he could have gotten lunch in between fucking kidnapping his kids it's pretty funny but but that shows how important family is yeah the the five things at the beginning of the movie right what is it like family honor i think it's three or something like that there were like five little things that pop up i really don't remember dude i mean i I saw this movie two days ago and i don't remember it (laughs) but anyway but David Something. David wastes even more time, even though his kids are presumably with Conejo by washing his dead wife off. Like he picks her up and he carries her into the bathtub. And I'm like, he runs in to his wife's throat slit and she's dead. And he's not wondering where his fucking kids are. And he takes all this time to bathe her. And he does like a long prayer to God with memory flashbacks and grief interspersed in this hotel room, which they're in a hotel room, I'm pretty sure, right? I don't know. It could be a condo or hotel room. It's not really clear. But besides the fact, it's like full of blood. He's screaming his head off in anguish in the bathtub and like nobody Nobody comes and sees what's up or calls the cops in order to see what's going on. Like this is a nice place, whether it's a hotel room or a condo. Somebody would say something, you know what I mean? Like he couldn't take this 45 minutes to an hour wrapping his wife up and cleaning her and putting the fucking neckerchief on to cover her slit in her throat and all that other shit without somebody saying something something man and he still doesn't give a shit about where his kids are but then david is really stupid enough that he calls his sister-in-law to ask where his kids are he literally saw his dead wife like i said in the hotel with her throat slit did he honestly think that conejo didn't have his kids who the fuck it just so happened that like she handed off the kids to her sister and then conejo showed up after that (laughs) and then slit her throat come on well they had to add that in because they probably thought of his motivation at that point (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and they they wanted the big long death scene with the bathtub and all the blood, blah blah blah, <laughs> and the flashbacks. They had to have the flashbacks in case we didn't, right. you know, emotionally connect with the fact that he loves his <laughs> wife. Right. But, so they put that in there just to be like, oh, that's why he isn't immediately thinking about his kids because he thought the sister had it. But it, yeah, you know, right, right, right. Name. It's just like making it up <laughs> after the fact. Exactly. But dude, this this whole scene drones on for like almost ten minutes of the movie. Like this is a ninety-five minute movie. Literally ten percent of your movie is wasted on this one scene of him grieving in slow mo and Conejo looking cool and going all <laughs> slow mo. And a flashback of his goodbye to Creeper as he st- as he stomps, or I'm sorry, as he stops on the road, he pulls over and he like thinks about his fucking goodbye with Creeper and like them slapping their hands and like talking with the suits and all that shit before the pipe bomb went off. But yeah, let, you know what, David Ayer, let's waste even more time showing us something that we saw 15 minutes ago. Let's waste more time recapping that shit because we really need to remember that. <laughs> But David, you know, he stopped I, I on forgot the side of the road. It. I mean, I totally, it <laughs> slipped my mind. And I also <laughs> forgot that he had this 10-minute uh, scene with the jiu-jitsu and everything. And right, right, right. I had no, no predictions that that jiu-jitsu <laughs> was somehow going to play a part in the ending of the movie. Right, right. No obviously. inclination at all. But, you know, David sits there and he crosses himself, then makes a U-turn with fucking rave music blasting on the soundtrack. That's what I was really confused <laughs> by, is that, like, all of a sudden this rave music comes on. And then it's revealed that Bone from Training Day plays Bone in this movie. Great. Thanks, David Ayer, for reinforcing that point. It's not like I didn't get it the first fucking time that I saw him. But, you know, they go into earlier in the movie, they talk about how, like, Bone helped him clean up some shit that he needed to do back in the day, but they never allude to it. But it's such a big thing that... That's the thing. Bone helped him clean something up, helped David clean something up. So Bone did a favor for David to fix something that he fucked up, and now he's going back to Bone and asking for more fucking favors. Like, where is Bone's loyalty here? He's just going to keep giving and giving and giving? It doesn't fucking make any sense. Like, jump in on a bunch of cartel shit. You got other problems to deal with. I mean, that that was, like, probably the most unbelievable part of the movie, that the Crips would suddenly, you know, want to... Well, just join this one guy who kind of stopped his homies from beating up, you know, another guy of theirs. (laughs) suddenly they're going to risk their lives on a suicide right. mission to help right. this guy out. Who gives a fuck? Why would they do that? It doesn't make any sense <laughs> right. whatsoever. <laughs> right. But you know, Dave, that's exactly the thing. David goes to the blood to ask for the, bloods to ask for their help and to help him. Then Bone says this is a chance for them to quote, wash themselves of their sin, end quote. How does David helping david take revenge exonerate them in the eyes of god that's what i really didn't understand i'm like you're not doing anything good like yes you're helping this man get his kids back but this isn't going to forgive a career life full of criminal activity (laughs) to do one more criminal act like it's a stupid line it really is but i'm so confused by what bone and the bloods owe david again man like what the fuck is going on here all of a sudden he's got two favors and all they did was like keep him from like you said killing that one guy which i completely forgot forgot about until you said something but you know this this leads us to dumb fuck moment number two which is matrix speed ramps and (laughs) cinerobot moves 
We already <laughs> saw all this before, and it was boring then, David. You're fucking what? You're 14 years late, David Ayer. But they take a guy, question him, grind his face into the moving asphalt, then get an address on his phone to get his kids. Does David actually expect me not to believe that Conejo's mom wouldn't have someone protecting the house? Like, this is Conejo's <laughs> mom. <laughs> pretty funny. It's pretty funny that the house is empty. No one's there except yeah. just some old lady and some kid. Yeah. You know. But it, it's Conejo's only leverage over David, but he leaves it with just his mom and no fucking protectors. Like it seems like a dumb fuck thing to do. But again, now Bone uses the line, quote, till the fucking wheels fall off, man. Stop with this country <laughs> ass shit. For real. Stop. But Bone Bone tells all the homies to bounce with the kids because he and David are gonna go to kill Conejo. But we already know David's defenses always fail. So why would David leave his kids with the more with more morons that could be killed by Conejo's thugs. Regardless, we see Conejo in bed with his enforcer, right? The same busty girl that is Creeper's analog. And he is typing like crazy on a laptop with graphs moving. Because what? Is this guy a fucking day trader now? Like, what the fuck is he typing so fast for? Is he hacking the stock market yeah. now all of a sudden? He does, uh, he does all kinds of things. Yeah. It's tradecraft, man. Yeah, that's it. But Bone Bone gets picked up by one girl with a pistol on the street as he's like looking in the rearview mirror and gets in a fight while David struggles with to strangle a guy with his weapons harness, even though the dude is on a railing and could just flip his legs over the har- or over the fucking railing in order to save his own life. This motherfucker sits there and dangles his feet as David is hanging on his neck with this fucking weapons harness. And I'm like, dude, just flip your goddamn ankles over, man. Like, it's going to hurt, yeah. <laughs> but it's going to hurt a lot less than you being dead, motherfucker. It does take an excruciatingly long time for him to kill this dude. To strangle somebody. When yeah. he knows all this jujitsu, right, but he just right, happens right. to forget until he's being waterboarded <laughs> in the bathroom yeah. and having his head beaten with the toilet. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, th- this this brings me to two points here. Number one, strangling a guy takes a really long time. That's something that movies always get wrong. It takes several minutes to choke the life out of somebody. It takes a lot of effort to kill somebody that way. But number two, what would have made this so much easier, efficient, and safer, and quicker would have been the five other bloods that Bone sent home. <laughs> Like, think yeah. of it. Bone wouldn't have happened to ha- have that knife in his leg during the fight scene. He probably could have been done killing Conejo by now. But no, we have to be greeted by this, like, 10-minute long fight scene between two different guys. All because he said, oh, you know what, man? Why don't you guys bounce out of here? I'm like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> are these guys are these guys hourly and you want to save on the paycheck? Like, what the hell is going on? And I think they should have brought the kids and, and the bloods along, you know, just. Right. <laughs> Have like uh like the kids doing some fucking home alone shit to the, to the fucking <laughs> I mean it wouldn't have been any worse than uh what's called uh Rambo Last Blood at that point. <laughs> Uh, Bone's fight scene is also really loud. There's screaming, there's people being thrown on the hoods of cars, but seems like someone would have noticed that from Conejo's crew by now. Not to mention there's only two guys outside or three guys outside of Conejo's like get down, you know, like there's the guy with the chopper they drive past, the guy that David tries to strangle, and then that girl that picks up Bone out of the car. Like it's only those three guys protecting this fucking like major gangster who says he's like the next kingpin of LA. Yeah. Seems a little of 
like fucking much for me to swallow. But it David is. takes the time. <laughs> Especially after he like kills a bunch of dudes from the the old bloods of the the cartel guys and all that. You'd think there'd be more kind of a of a reaction to that happening. Right. I mean he killed right. like what ten people of uh Yeah. Yeah, he just goes crew. in and mows them all but down. There's more than that. You know, <laughs> there's a lot more than that that yeah. uh, so, uh, <laughs> I mean he's preparing to take Canejo's preparing to take over LA with like 13 people Paul he's Jesus and he's got his disciples bro that's what it is he does type quickly uh with graphs and shit (laughs) so maybe he's tied in with the CIA or some shit you never know right 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 yeah but you know David David takes the time to kick in the door of Canejo's bedroom to shoot right even though the door is gapped open and rather than just poking the gun through the door and (laughs) unloading through the partially open door he kicks in the door in the loudest way possible to say hey y'all i'm here what's up (laughs) like what the fuck man the door's open you know like at least in training day remember in training day when like ethan hawk comes into the house and that like you know denzel washington is in with like his wife and his kid and he's like shooting it out with fucking denzel in the middle of the hallway and like the door is closed he can't see where alonzo is when he comes into the door and like alonzo jumps him from the behind the bed and beats the living fuck out of him until they go into the other rooms and they shoot it out but i'm like dude the door's open you can see canejo in the broad just fucking unload on that guy he would have avoided getting shot too if he had just fired through the door and we wouldn't have to be greeted with this stupid hand-to-hand combat fight scene as the candle burns the carpet which doesn't make any sense complete with 30 seconds of flashbacks reminding you that he those two chits. Yep. Yep. Just in case we forgot <laughs> that he did that. Wouldn't David just instinctually do this at that point? Like it's exactly the same hold he was practicing earlier that's in why, the day. That's why you train. So you don't think about it. You just yeah, do you it. Just you do. just react. <laughs> but now <laughs> he has to have a couple is, flashbacks and flashbacks about his family being murdered and flashbacks <laughs> about uh So he uh, reminds himself why he's yeah, fighting this guy. Yeah. 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 But this was literally like 12 hours ago that he was at the dojo. It's the same day. He hasn't even gotten to sleep and he fucking like has to have the fucking flashback. But yo, super long wind up to the killing stroke. Every Even time for a slow motion memory of his wife staring directly in the camera with the halo behind her. Just in case. Oh, but wait, but, before he drops it, he has three lines right there. You know, this is for my oh, family. Right. I, I kill for my oh, family. Yeah, 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 yeah. whatever he says. It's pretty... Dude, uh, God good. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he beats Conejo to death with a sink while saying, I fight for my family, I kill for my family, and something else. I can't remember the other one. Yeah, something about his family. But, or I fight but, for myself, whatever. I do this for me, yeah, yeah, whatever. I do this for my family, I kill for my family, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but maybe, maybe if you weren't such a selfish piece of shit, David, your family wouldn't be in this situation. You know what I mean? Like all of this could have been avoided if you weren't such a stupid fuck from the jump and gotten on Conejo's case before the shit. I mean, he's only got 13 guys, dude. He could have wiped them out right there in the club. It could have happened right there. But no, they had to have this long wind up bullshit. 
But you know what? I just want to bring this up. Porcelain breaks, dude, really easily. If you've ever hit a sink, you can hit a sink pretty lightly and shatter the fucking like bowl. It's not that hard. He couldn't get this many blows in order to crush Canejo's face in with full body <laughs> slamming. Like that shit would have shattered by now. But you know, Bone shows up just in time to rescue David as we hear sirens coming. And Bone reveals he just so happens to have a homegirl who works with the USC Medical Center to patch him up. But first, David needs to pull over to make a phone call and talk to Wizard inside, only to reveal that Wizard is his dad. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Also, his dad is played by Jimmy Smits, dude. For shame, <laughs> Jimmy Smits. Fuck you, dude. I like Jimmy Smits a lot, dude. Like, I worked with him on this TV show called The Get Down, and I like Jimmy Smits a lot. He's a funny guy, and I liked seeing him work. But, like, this, I was like, oh, my God. Like, Jimmy, like, God damn it, dude. The you, fuck I mean, wouldn't you want to, like, add Gangster Kingpin to your <laughs> resume at Long least list. once? I mean, I would do it. Dude, in in the in the get down, he plays like this gangster politician. And right, like right. that was way doper yeah. than this bullshit, you know. But but he talks to his dad and his dad encourages him with the argument, fuck your dead wife, you're a king now. Great talk, dad. <laughs> he hangs up the phone. But David David clings to a chain link fence and grieves some more as his dad prays to Christ saying, forgive me. Big build up in the music to have David look directly in the fucking camera and then roll credits. Fuck you. This movie is such a waste of time and money, dude. Like, I, I was so pissed when they get to the ending of this movie because the whole last third is, like, completely uneven. As soon yeah. as Creeper dies, it turns into this whole other thing that's, like, poorly put together and poorly realized and a lot of stupid decisions. And I thought at first that maybe this was just me being angry at all the movies that I've seen that were like this already and that I'm sick of seeing this shit. But it's not. It's, like, legit a bad movie. And I, I honestly didn't expect it to be this bad yeah i don't know what i don't know what happened uh, i just i mean this this i i honestly think that this movie is the product of somebody running out of material like david ayer has been riding this wave for almost 20 years and i'm like dude just stop with the east la gang stories man you know like we don't care you know i already i already saw boys in the hood i already saw menace to society you know i already saw dead presidents i already saw training day I don't need to keep seeing this shit, you know? It's the same fucking story. And then to rip off the fucking Godfather as badly <laughs> as he does in this and pretend like he's smart. Fuck yeah. David Ayer, dude. I really I really hope that this shows like a downturn in his career that he doesn't like his next few movies tank at the box office because he needs to reset, you know, but when is he gonna whatever. reset is, too though? He's just gonna go back know, to another man. East LA movie. So. maybe maybe he should start writing the sequels to Fast and Furious, you know? Oh, there you go. I mean <laughs> maybe for the 10th movie the 10th movie you know he writes that shit what he doesn't need to do and thank god that they are rebooting suicide squad with a different director because he wanted to do suicide squad too and then like for some reason the dc extended universe like dropped him and picked up the uh the horribly offensive tweeting james gunn who did guardians of the galaxy in order to direct the new one 
which is an odd choice for sure. Huh. Yeah. Well, he's done uh, superhero movies, so there you go. Obviously, oh, yeah, he's qualified. You know what, man? Fuck Zack Snyder on that, on that whole point, man. Having that guy steer the DC Extended Universe is the biggest mistake that Warner Brothers could have ever have made. Yeah. He's just going to make a bunch of bad movies that's going to end up with the bat suit with the nipples on it again. <laughs> I thought they finally they finally got out of that whole thing with him and you know he's no oh, longer participating. The, Zack Snyder, like I don't know, I don't know. I could be behind they, on that. Yeah, I it think could they be escaped true. his his whole vision for that <laughs> and trying to push it more in the Marvel universe, of course, or the the right. direction more lighthearted, more broadly appealing. You know, there my one of my all time favorite comic books is. Um, Arkham Asylum by Dave McKeon, right? And in Arkham Asylum, they envision Clayface as being this guy with this form of leprosy that he literally pulls off pieces of his body and throws it at people. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, dude, if you made if you made a fucking Batman movie like that, I'd That'd be, be pretty into awesome. It, man. Yeah, I think yeah. Clayface would be a cool character in a kind of Christopher Nolan esque style. <laughs> Batman movie. I don't know what Christopher Nolan would actually do with a character like Clayface, though, because he's like he's a little too comic booky, you know. And there's nothing that's really reality there with Clayface. I don't know. Do I mean, I guess he could thing. be <laughs> throwing chunks of himself <laughs> or whatever. I've been wanting that man to do like just to see what he would do with it. Make a fucking zombie movie one day, you know. I want to see what a Christopher yeah, Nolan zombie movie would look like. First zombie movie filmed in IMAX. Yeah. Oh, dude. <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. <laughs> Listeners, that was The Tax Collector. Do not waste your time on this movie. I know it's a new release. This is our first new release that we picked up where there's no box office data yep. and we watched it opening weekend. But this was fucking horrible. At least it was a new I, new release, uh, you know, eight weeks ago or whenever this podcast get released now. Is, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. That's true. Yeah. This is going to be 8 weeks late by the time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Paul, did you have did you have anything else to say about Shia LaBeouf in this movie before we uh before we wrap this up? I don't know. I I think I enjoyed most of the scenes with Shia LaBeouf in there. Uh of course I most of it was waiting to see when he was going to get really crazy. Yeah. And yeah. So I was really, yeah, I was disappointed. That was a disappointment, it. dude, for sure. Because like I was waiting for them to do like a harsh times type thing with Christian Bale where he goes nuts, starts hurting people. And that shit never came. And it's just like, you know, that's why I watch David Ayer movies, man. That's the only <laughs> reason is like I watched Dark Blue, not because Kurt Russell was in it, but it was the idea that Kurt Russell might hurt some people in a pretty visual way, which is David Ayer's forte. <laughs> Same yeah. reason why I watch Street Kings, man. Like just. Give him a goddamn like butcher's blade and let him chop some hands off or something like anything, man. Like, so, just give me that. Here's a question for you How do you take a deep dive and make a movie about a culture without skimming stereotypes and cliches and all of that? Like, how do you make it about a culture that's recognizable to people that it's about that culture without? you know, putting stereotypes and stuff like that in the movie. 
All right. So it's it's actually an interesting question because Martin Scorsese is like the master of this is that we've seen an Italian greaseball, you know, gangster motherfuckers for forever in movies like, you know, the original Scarface in 1932 was about an Italian gangster, you know, and like ever since then, we've been seeing movies like that. But Scorsese himself has done what? How many fucking movies about Italian gangsters by this point? <laughs> but yeah. While while there is stereotypes in his movies with Italian stereotypes like Goodfellas with them making the sauce in prison, it's the details that matter. It's like these overall details about the character that flesh them out into yeah. something that's not so stereotypical. Like Henry Hill. Henry Hill, I still don't understand Goodfellas in the sense like Henry Hill is a fucking snitch, dude. <laughs> like that's... That's the thing about the movie, but like, you know that that's where it's headed from the beginning of the movie, but it's still like fascinating to watch yeah. because Henry Hill is detailed in such a way and everybody around him is detailed in such a way, especially fucking Joe Pesci's character, yeah. that you feel rooted in some sort of reality yeah. because the details are there. Cliché deals in large strokes. There's no detail there. And that's what the difference is, is that when you take large strokes like this on a particular subculture, it becomes irritating and boring to watch. It's the details that matter. This movie, it could have been better maybe if they just had better editing. Like maybe editing could have saved this movie. I mean, maybe. The oh, entire yeah. third I'm act thinking. is like so poorly edited yeah. that it's like... Yeah, the whole like fight scene me. at the end, I couldn't tell what the fuck was going on. Like which <laughs> who was who is so dark and poorly edited. And, and then, yeah, they had to resort to the flashback emotional <laughs> type things right because they didn't spend enough time with the characters in order to get you to care yeah. about them yeah. all that being said paul Fuck what it. uh god damn <laughs> <laughs> all that being said paul what what's on the docket for next week man did you see anything that uh that you've been really itching to talk about <sighs> i keep thinking about uh, under siege to dark territory <laughs> <laughs> yeah that or i still want to do some kind of sports movie we haven't done that right or right, right or an adam sandler movie i would be down for under siege 2 dark territory because i haven't seen that movie in a long time but um yeah if, neither if, have i yeah. oh dude hardball with keanu reeves i fucking hate that movie hardball. that movie's so terrible yeah like where he plays a pool or basketball? no no no. he, he plays he plays a, a little league baseball coach it's like forced into it because of community service oh, it's kind of like, like the bad like news my, bears mighty ducks <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mighty Ducks 2. Have you seen that one? Oh my god. It's been a long time, yeah, dude. I saw bad. Mighty Ducks 2 when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> or even Mighty Ducks 3. Oh, Jesus. I never saw Mighty straight Ducks to, 3. I think that was a straight to VHS release there. <laughs> you know it's funny? I saw an article about Hollow Man that just came out today, and it was all about how you need to watch it because it's all about male entitlement. And it was like the same huh. point that I was making, maybe a little more eloquent in this article about <laughs> what, what the movie's supposed to be. And I was just like, I'm fucking vindicated. Fuck you, game. 
<laughs> what in the sense in the sense that like white males are entitled to everything and they think that they're invisible to society no it's supposed i mean they describe how kevin bacon's character is you know before the me too movement kind of came around it was all about him being entitled and think that he can just uh, force his ex-girlfriend to you know fuck around with them and stuff and Right. And it's all about his rage, you know, when things start going against his his sense of what should be happening and everything. So I don't know. And that's almost like that's almost like not only just like the male like male entitlement, but also like an incel thing almost, you know, that he deserves certain things in terms of his sexual preferences. Right. Huh. I mean, coming from a guy like Paul Verhoeven, I could see that being in there somewhere, like being lost in the shuffle amongst all the rape. But Cause yeah, I mean, like like we said about Paul before, is it's like he he gets lost in like his old tricks, so to speak. Yeah. Whether that's explicit sexuality or explicit violence, and his uh, his overall message kind of like disappears because of that. What about what about like RoboCop? Like, what's his uh, underlying message in there? I guess that you know, like cops are part of the problem too with society. I, I don't know what he's reading into there. I think it was kind of making fun of the Reagan era war on crime bullshit <laughs> that was going on, and just how out of control that shit could get. Yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. You know, privatizing. For sure law enforcement i think was a big one (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know i have to revisit some of the themes in that movie dude my brother my brother just sent me this article not too long ago where he was taught it was this article that was talking about reagan that remembering him as a president and that reagan consulted with a fucking psychic before every like major decision that he made ever since becoming a movie star huh and I'm like, that explains so <laughs> much about the Reagan. <laughs> Dude, seriously, check out Muscle Music when you get off this call right. with me, man. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> anyway, so everyone, that was, once again, The Tax Collector. Do not watch this movie. I caution you very, very strongly if you think that this is going to be something worthwhile. Do not watch it. It's fucking terrible. But until next time, thank you for hanging out. Rate, review, subscribe, all that bullshit. And until next time, I am Gabriel Chavez. I'm Paul Schindel. Good night, guys. Good night, guys.